window unto Ghidra, what is Ghidra's? Ten to one, he sees you through a beaker and a tweezers. Read the fine print and be like, what's the big deal? Spun wheels of steel since broke wheel, big wheel. Back when it was greasy as curl, now it's easy dread. Had a rhyme on how they used to tease him about his peasy head. Yes, yes, y'all, to the beat. Hey there, it's one of the Hollywood Kaiju Bad Boys, Brandon Kirkman, coming at you for the intro of this special edition Podzuki Christmas Miracle. Um, so yeah, each year we're going to watch our favorite movies for the Christmas season and then talk about them on Podzuki. The only thing is, Luke Evans' flip favorite movie is Solo, and it is intense. I also say intense on this episode probably about 50 times. So it is a fair warning, but there will be graphic material discussed. Have a Merry Christmas! But yeah, I should get into this. As soon as I finish chewing on this chocolate. Yeah, finish that chocolate. Um, That's what they use. They use chocolate and orange sauce, I believe. Like some kind of like orange sauce. That's what they chocolate. That's what they made sauce and poop. Yeah. Yeah. I I assume they weren't eating poop. Yeah, it wasn't real poop. I'm pretty sure they were eating poop. Yeah. Well, hey, I'll go with you. Um, Just the one guy who was a method actor on this movie really um, needed to eat shit for the scene. One guy with the, <laughs> oh yeah, turn this off. One guy with those cross eyes who uh, felt like he he looked like he was like he walked onto the set from a David Lynch movie. Yeah, the president. Yes. But anyway, let's start with the introduction. Well, wait, are we recording? Yeah, it's recording yeah. now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hello, hello and welcome to Podzuki. The lost episode. Yes, the lost episode. Not to be confused with an episode about the TV show Lost, but we watched a movie that I wanted to watch a while ago back, and it got vetoed because it's not a kaiju movie. Well, also, I, it's it's a harrowing experience to say the least. So yeah, there's yeah. a there are definitely monsters in this movie. Yeah. Oh, it's humanity for yeah. sure. Yeah, we should give a forewarning. Uh, the film we talk about is rather graphic and intense. So, I mean, we're not going to get into too many details, but uh, if you go check out the film, it's... Oh, boy. It's mm-hmm. it's hard. I mean, it's definitely hard, but... <laughs> I think considered, compared to certain like torture porn movies, this thing's pretty benign. I think, yeah. I think it's a bit more intense because the, the, it's a bit more realistic. I guess it's true. It's no cabin fever, which I still am and upset at. Also, it has a legitimate point to make. It has yeah. something. It has stuff to say, yeah. which is what I love about it. But before we get into that, we should introduce yeah. ourselves. <laughs> Welcome to Podzuki, like you're saying. But I'm one of your co-hosts, Brandon Kirkman. I'm another one of your co-hosts, Martin Felschman. And I am your third co-host, Luke Flip. And it was, if you haven't told by it, been able to tell by now, it was my idea to see this movie, yeah. which I just said that a second ago. It's also very early in the morning. Like, yeah. Which is the opposite it, of us very late, where we are on fire and firing on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah. It's it's 12.30 right now. We met up at like 9.30 yeah. and ate. Each of us had a huge breakfast. So, I think we, you guys probably would have taken it a little bit better if it had been like later at night. Yeah. I, I don't think so. <laughs> it, was, it was a rough one. Um, yeah, we 
also decide probably do this guest list because this was uh, a hard sell. I feel like you'd have to really get somebody who understood what the film we were talking about was going to happen with, yeah. which of course is Solo mm-hmm. or the 120 Days of Sodom. Also known for its sequel, 500 Days of Summer. <laughs> now that's a hard movie. That is a hard movie to that watch. That is torture. You know, actually, going back and watching that, when I watched 500 Days of Summer, quick aside for that, it was like at the time when all those twee films were really popular, and it was like a fun, cute experience. Watching it again, I'm like, oh man, everybody in this film feels pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's no good. Justin Gordon-Levitt is playing more of a kind of a unconscious dweeb of just following these expectations so maybe this is better this film is definitely better than 500 days of summer oh it's it's so it's so great when you see the handsome charming guy get the attractive girl oh yeah it's such a that's such a low bar to set yeah that's true <laughs> um how should we how should we jump into this film though i don't i i, I just one thing to say before we do um, last episode i apologized to luke after we had watched the movie because the last uh, kaiju movie we yeah. watched it wasn't that good, and I felt bad for vetoing what Luke says is one of his favorite movies. <laughs> I take that back now. <laughs> I will send that apology because I did not have fun with this movie. Yeah. One thing I feel like I should jump on with that, too, is like, uh, regardless if you like this film or you didn't like this, it's it's an intense film. So yeah. we forewarned at least twice now, be careful if you're downloading this. It is the most intense film you'll see. There's so much sodomy and shit-eating and, oh boy, so many yeah. things we're going to get into. Yeah, well, it takes place during, uh, in the, near the end of World War II, I believe. Yeah. In uh, Nazi-occupied Italy. There's a bunch of, there are four members of the public government. One's a duke, a bishop, a president, and a judge. And they're all libertines. Which is basically Jeez. sort of like... I was crying. It's like a gross form of sexually liberated. Doesn't have any really beliefs in morality, and it's all just about base physical pleasures. The Marquis de Sade was was probably the most famous libertine that existed. So like blaspheming, going against conventional moral ideas, is what they're all about. Just destroying everything. See, that confused me. When I heard libertine, I thought they were like libertarian teens. No, <laughs> no, it's that young adult uh, new, uh, you know, youth novel series about surviving the apocalypse. Yeah, the Sean Hannity yeah. young adult novels. Yeah. <laughs> Do those exist? I, I hope so. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that, for a second, I, I know that was a joke, but I'm like, that could be a real thing, though, too, <laughs> at this point in time and history. Patriots after dark. Yeah. I think before we get more into Solo, too, the gentleman who directed the film, Pier Paolo uh, Pasolini, I want to say. Pasolini. Pasolini. Yeah. Man, it was, uh, he also seemed to have a very brutal and short life. He was murdered right after this film was released in 1975. Yeah. And uh, he was, uh, I guess, an open communist and gay man, which did not set well with the public. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was murdered with his own car and then set on fire. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They, they did him in real good. Yeah. <laughs> It yeah. almost reflects this film too much in a way, too, which yeah, is yeah. frightening. Well, he was mainly a poet, but then later on, like, he started making movies. I think he only made, like, two movies. I've never seen his first one, but I'm pretty sure it's not... I think it's, like, intense, but I don't think it's quite as intense as this one is. This, If, if this was only a second movie, this was really well shot. Yeah, that's that was the... When I first saw the movies, that was the first thing that blew me away. Like, I liked, the, like, all the, the violence and stuff was fine. I didn't even 
bat an eye at that because of how beautiful it looked. It was some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. I was just awestruck by this movie when I saw it. Yeah. And have been ever since. Uh, I feel like we have to have a more serious discussion for this one because of how intense it is, but it mm. reminded me a lot of when I first saw Blue Velvet. Mm. It has a lot of those reflections, I feel like, where it's got beautiful cinematography, but just like intense acts of sexuality and violence all at the same time. And it's just like, oh boy, this is a lot to digest. Mm. Mm. I mean, there was no Baby Wants to Fuck, but actually worse things in this film. <laughs> so, Well, what, there, was no, there was no scene in there about Budweiser and... Uh... Oh, yeah. He- no, oh, Heineken. Heineken yeah. and yeah. Uh, Paps, Paps Blue, Blue Ribbon. Ribbon. Yeah. Uh, that shit. Paps Blue Ribbon! Exactly. See, I would recommend this film if there was that scene in there. <laughs> what would be the Italian equivalent? They're making, like, old fashions, and he hits it out of their hands like, No, fuck that shit! Negronis! <laughs> <laughs> Probably um, something like that. <laughs> the film, I, I, I feel like the plot's a little more loose, but we can get into it starting where they're rounding up all the kids mm. and... Uh, you can tell it's going to be an intense film because basically, you know, they're all trying to avoid this. One of them even runs off after they get them together in a truck and gets shot oh. down. And uh, not quite clear of why they're trying to run away, but once they introduce the, basically the bishop, the duke, the president, all of them, they have a book they're reading from of saying, hey, we're going to fuck the shit out of you now, and it's going to be terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's, basically the it's... You could say it's like an allegory on fascism, but I kind of consider an allegory on like really any kind of corrupted power is just rampant freedom for a small group of people. Yeah. And that's what they do. So the basic plot before we go through the entire movie is these figureheads, the Duke, President, Bishop, and Judge, kidnap a bunch of orphans with the help of some elderly prostitutes. Yeah, and take them, t- hold them up in a mansion, and treat them as their property and sex slaves. That's yeah. pretty much the tall and short of it. Well, I think also the assistance of the younger fascist group of soldiers, the Italian soldiers they get that are mm-hmm. down to game with all of this as well. Yeah, if anyone, I think that was Umberto was like the head of them that was just as sadistic as the head of the groups too. Yeah. It's yeah. like, um, were were all the children orphans? Uh, they weren't exactly orphans, but they were orphans at that point. Because they did mention that one of the girls was like, oh, yeah. father was like a senator in some other part of the country. Mm-hmm. And it was at a all-girls Catholic school, and they bribed the nuns to mm-hmm. get her out. See, I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it seems like they were just half-orphans, half-kidnapped kids. Well... Yeah, I, I like that we have all these settings for what would be a more fun, adventurous film of, like, these orphan kids escape <laughs> fascists in Italy. And, like, oh, that'd be a fun time. Like, no, they're not escaping. Oh, and yeah, we have no, to this watch is, this. This is the real thing that happened. This yeah. is the Goonies. I mean, that's what I'll give the film its merits for is it was tough. I can't say necessarily I liked it, but it was an experience because I think it's probably more of a realistic portrayal of what happens during war, especially all the stories you'll hear about later in interviews yeah. of just, like, the insane things people do because they have power and nobody's watching. It's a it's a real movie to teach you to fear humans all over again. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, these guys are just <clears throat> do all these terrible things to these kids, and there's no like any kind of there's no comeuppance for it at all. There's yeah. no satisfaction. Yeah, <laughs> which it, it's weird how much they talk about coming in this film, and it just blew balls yeah. you so hard. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's one thing I enjoyed the most about this film. And at one point, did I get aroused? Because I would be like, "Oh no, <laughs> oh, this yeah. can't be my thing." I think I think my dick whipped back up inside me. I don't think I'll have sex for another three months now. Yeah, yeah there's nothing sexy in this movie. No, like, not you, at if you, all. If you like this movie because there are tits in it, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Or somebody just needs to show you where pornography is. Like, actually, you can just see these tits without anybody getting their eyes cut out. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. One thing the movie does kind of do a good job with that uh, really made it more of a harrowing experience, you have to say that again, is they keep having a book of punishments that they're writing down, and it never happens, and I realize for instance, like, oh, this is all going to come at a finale that's going to be intense. Yeah, well, the uh, movie's broken up into, I believe, four chapters. Yeah. They're, they're referred to as circles, or like the first one is the Anti-Inferno, which... And then the next three are circles. The circle of manias, the circle of shit, and the circle of blood. Which is like obviously a Dante reference. Yeah. Or which like they're going through hell. Yeah, or a Castlevania game title. Yeah. Either one of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe Circle of Shit was the original name for Castlevania 64. It, actually, that would fit very well. Uh, it'd have to be, there'd have to be something about music in there, too. Yeah. with all of them now are... Uh, Music something of some crescendos, some synonym with sad. Concerto of shit. (laughs) I like that. Um, Yeah, uh, so, man, it's hard not to go through the plot pretty quickly because this is more of an experience than I feel like a storyline for the film. Like I said, I I always describe it's just an allegory. Yeah. Like, it's a very allegorical, metaphorical film. Mm. Yeah, and boy, what an allegory. There... The scenes of the older prostitute going through her life experiences to set each scene up to such dread, that was really well done, too, of, like, you realize each time she's talking, it's about to happen to all of the people they rounded up. Yeah, yeah. And it it sets such an intense shadow. You're like, oh, boy, here here this comes. I I don't know if I'm ready for this. Yeah, we should explain that, like, sort of the way each circle will begin is that one of the elderly prostitutes will stand up in the orgy room of orgies is that what they were calling it yeah i think so yeah which is basically just a big hall that they're all sitting down and then the prostitute will start telling stories about how they became a prostitute and the crazy depraved things they did like uh i believe the first story she told the first prostitute told was about some professor who came all over her when she was like seven years old yeah that was like the first time she got paid for doing something like that with a man and all these elderly prostitutes have such smiles on their face yeah while they're putting these kids through this torture yeah it brings up a interesting point of like modern sex workers and how people are trying to make it more positive and liberating and like it makes me think about how even sexual liberation nowadays is such an important thing because back in the day it was seen as such a perverse thing that people like this were basically just, I'd say, punished psychologically for their whole lives. Yeah. So it kind of has a good reflection of that, if we're going with the allegory thing. I forgot that I just ate some chocolate that has sparkling candy rocks in it, too. <laughs> <laughs> just add a little uh, brevity to the situation. <laughs> just that, That's a beautiful juxtaposition. Yeah. yeah. I it's am good really, chocolate, though. Yeah, I am really not. It is kind of hard to talk about this plot of this movie, because like, with that, when you're not seeing the things that are going on... Yeah. It can sound kind of really sparse. Yeah, the cinematography is really excellent, but also I think it's the such beauty sets you up for such uh, the intense dark scenes of what happens. Yeah, uh, especially when the end and it starts accumulating 
uh, basically they have a lot of set pieces where it's just the men in power watching from a distance with binoculars. I think it's probably when it hit home the best for how much of an intense allegory it is to fascism and control and yeah. power, where it's not even a sexual act of the people anymore, it's them just watching of the destruction they can cause on people's lives. Yeah, it uh, made me think of that short story, The Destroyers, I think it's called, where they break into Old Man Misery's house, yeah. find a bunch of money in a mattress, and then set it on fire. Yeah. And now, like, you're, by destroying something, you're creating something. Yeah. And that's their instrument of choice, is destruction. Yeah. And misanthropy, if that is a word. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Uh, misanthropy is a very good word for this. Yeah. Like, misandric, just all those kind of words. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I think so many things are reflecting the time period it came out, too, as we'll talk about it later, but it came out in 1975, and the world was in complete turmoil at this time, too, because it was both the end of Vietnam right when the fall of Saigon happened as well as the fact with uh, Nixon's presidency going on right before Watergate broke mm. and you know talks of nuclear fallout and war and just the control of remote few had so this film definitely feels like it captures that really well mm. I applaud it for that um, but each of the circles get more intense to get it yeah. back on track for the plot kind of the first one is basically them just kind of breaking it into it and a lot of either forced sex or sodomy and that's kind of like a good i don't want to say introduction but like yeah. <laughs> a, a good you know way to prepare yourself for what's coming yeah they build, they build to it and mm -hmm. i do have to say one of my favorite things about this movie has always been you'll have like a really violent scene of rape or somebody being hurt or just any terrible thing that could happen to somebody then followed by a scene where all the libertines are hanging out in their sitting room just having Sipping a good cocktails, time. Yeah. listening to jazz, and just pontificating about politics, how ridiculous more they think morality is, and how like they want to be gods of their own little world, yeah. I suppose. But it's just such a great juxtaposition between the terrible things they're doing in the main part of that the mansion, and then when they're in the, their little sitting room, it's just like you wouldn't be able to tell them from anybody else. Yeah. There's little touches that they do to kind of show how even their ideas they can't truly believe are flawed because I like the scene where after one of them is getting out of his bedroom, he puts his gun on under his robe. Kind of to show, like, even though they want to be these controlling gods with no morales, they know that they don't have a threat of violence or power over someone, that either they're going to try to kill themselves or kill them in the effort of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, just it... It was a good way to remind you of just how much of a monster all of them were. <laughs> yeah. Like, because they, they truly can't feel safe themselves in a way, I think, too. Yeah. So, yeah, we're still on Circle One, which is the Circle of Manias. Yeah. Which is basically just getting fetishes out of the way as far as, like, the main fetishes. Getting the children warmed up. Yeah. As it were, to all the depraved things they're going to have to do. Yeah, one thing I should say is I feel so uncomfortable the fact how much we have to use the word children or teens because they made that a big point of the film. All yeah. the actors were 18 in casting for this, which was good when I was reading up the history, but still the setting for the film made me so uncomfortable for that. Yeah. It's it's I mean, it wants you to be, so I understand yeah, that part. It's and supposed it's still, to make you feel uncomfortable. And it's still a work of fiction, but man, I am still feeling grossed out. <laughs> it is so intense. Um, what was the second ring then after they get through that? The, the second circle is the circle of shit. Oh boy. That's that the was one the one where I had to look away the most. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you guys probably missed a lot of the good dialogue. Well, well I, I'm fine with that. I, I read as much as I could. <laughs> yeah. 
I suppose I, I was a little surprised how strongly you guys did react to this, because I remember not... Maybe I'm just so used to this stuff. Like, my favorite kind of movies are, like, movies like this, whereas, like, I love a good feel-bad movie. I mean, I I have my share of films I've seen that are similar. Like I mentioned earlier, Cabin Fever and a lot of horror films with the really intense violence. And once again, a lot of the Eli Roth films that I've seen too. So, of course, like Hostel and a few others. Um, and it is funny. Those movies are easier to watch because they're so over the top with the violence. Yeah. It kind of disconnects you. Mm-hmm. I think this one played into a pocket of where it was a, a believable thing that could happen. And yeah. It was such intense, or intense acts that... It was hard not to see it without flinching. Yeah, it's not torture porn. You're not supposed to relish in the violence. Yeah. It's supposed to illustrate a point. Yeah. This movie was just, it was it was too believable for me, and it was too it was too hopeless. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. There is no hope in this film. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point, which I'm sure was definitely. No, it was definitely point. like. I mean, I feel it like intended, it's, but like I feel like it's a good film to watch before getting ready to go to work. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it'll make your day at work seem way better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll be in the right mental mindset for it. Oh, am I getting scalped today? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think there was going to be scalping in this film, but yeah, yeah, we'll get there. It, 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 yeah. it surprises yeah. you. Anyway, it's called the Circle of Shit, and it's really the most infamous part of the entire movie because the this second prostitute begins telling her stories. And her speciality is poop. Like, men who like to eat poop. Or, I guess, women, too. But And normally, this would be really funny to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be really... No, on paper, this is like a classic Monty Python sketch. Yeah. Man, that Monty Python guy was really funny. <laughs> I, say. I haven't seen him around that much, though. Yeah, uh, but there's also a scene which I really like where she's talking about her mother and how much her mother didn't want her to be a prostitute. Yeah. For good reason, and then how she talked about, oh, well, I had to kill her then. Yeah. And the Duke gets up and talks about how much he hated his mother, and how he was able to send her to the next world as soon as he could. Yeah. And, like, never felt a subtler pleasure than doing that. Mm. And I thought that, I really liked that part where it's just nothing behind these people. Here's a good weird discussion I can get in this film. I feel like this is a good message on feminism for this entire film. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it shows both what happens when you make sex such a taboo subject that you demonize people with certain fetishisms or certain wants in life that they become these monsters, especially once they're given power. But also the fact that these men feel such need to control women and have issues that it's kind of these mother issues that come up. I mean, maybe not yeah. so apparent in the film, but it made me really think about how people with these mother issues or how they want to see their mother destroyed or like that, they mm. kind of take it out on the whole world around them. Yeah. It's uh, definitely a fair point. I always think of more just like humanism than just like feminism. Yeah. Like they have boys and girls. I believe it was nine of each that started out, but then the one one boy when they were on their way to the mansion yeah, gets tries to run away and yeah. gets shot, gets gunned down. Then one of the other girls kills herself. Yeah. Well, that's what really sets the tone for the bleakness of the film is you're actually kind of rooting for the both the kid who gets shot and the girl who commits suicide because yeah. it's like the only escape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wait, was, wasn't there a point where they... God, one of them made one of the boys like dress up in a dress? Yeah, yeah, that happens after the feast like yeah during the mania yeah there's all there's there's several marriages through this and they're 
pretty ridiculous. The first one's the most normal, which is between... Normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I made air quotes. Yeah, between uh, one of the girls and one of the boys. And it's a weird ceremony because they have, like, the boy and girl there dressed... She's in a wedding dress, he's in a suit. But all the other captives are there holding these, like, big orchids and completely naked. Mm. Very nice flowers. Yeah, and the... Uh, <laughs> Before they get buried, the Duke goes around and starts groping and kissing everybody. Which, man, as this film goes on, that's, like, tame compared to everything else. Like, oh, yeah. thank goodness they just got away with groping this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, what Martin's talking about is... Oh, boy, this is hard to even talk about, even though I turned around for most of this part. They have a giant shit feast at one point. They've just been collecting all the poos and turds. Yeah. And, uh, they make it seem like it's a big celebration and ball, and then they put one of the boys in a wedding dress... And then I want to say the president's the one? No, it's the judge who gets married. Oh, the to. judge. He, he's actually the same one, Sergio, I believe is his name. Yeah. Who got married to the girl in the first wedding. Oh. oh. So, yeah, but... So, yeah, he's in a wedding dress. Looks like something... Most of the dresses they have, the, the men wear in these, look like something that one of the golden girls would wear. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to bring the gold girl. <laughs> yeah, was, I think what I was trying to more invoke was definitely, I'd say, either occultism or Satanism with the elaborate, strange dresses and wardrobe and ceremonies. Well, I, yeah, I've always felt it was just they're out to make a mockery of everything and blaspheme as much as they can. Yeah, that's I think what made the film so hard is that the people in power are having such a fun, good time and making a joke of it all. Yeah. Is that even the fact that they can't do it with seriousness makes all of it more evil? The fact that they're inflicting such terrible things on these people and they just think it's a joke. Yeah. Because they're literally just playing with their lives. And there's a lot of really good lines of dialogue that I wish I'd written more of them down, but like I said, it's pretty early, at least yeah. for... Oh, what, you don't remember that guy's great number jokes? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, uh, I think maybe it's an issue with translation or wordplay in Italian, but... Yeah, there's definitely that first joke... No matter what translation of this I've seen, I never understand it, so it's probably is some kind of Italian wordplay that you can get. I also feel like this translation is not as good yeah. as the one I have. I feel like there's some parts where they were getting the words, but they should have translated a little bit better to actually get the idea behind the words. But, I don't know. Small point. Most of the parts that I liked were still in there, but it's also... Mm. I know you guys like had such a hard time with it, but it's really a movie you need to watch more than once to really fully appreciate. Ooh, it. I don't know if that's for a help. That's that's a that's a great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys watched it one time. I'm I'm happy with that. Thank you for putting up with it. But for the second time, gather around the family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please. Yeah. Once again, I have to emphasize: make sure you're in the right mental space and prepared if you're going to watch this film. Don't. Don't watch it with somebody if they're not sure what it's about or what's going on. Read the description before you get into it. It is, guys, it's intense. Yeah, it's and not don't, a don't don't make this a first date movie. Yeah, like I said, I'm glad that we got to watch this together and we can talk about it. But definitely, I'm glad we did not put a guest on for this yeah. episode. Yeah, it's not a movie where you're going to be able to crack jokes at all. <laughs> we got a few. Of them. We got we got a few. We, we we all tried. We tried. Yeah. Uh, this does make me think of it would be the funniest thing in the world if they did try to do a Mystery Sensei 3000 <laughs> for, for Solo or a movie of this caliber yeah. and it's oh. just a bunch of silent sad puppets yeah oh man that's I I 
I tentatively watch that. Yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting experiment. Well, they probably just do like you guys did all the time, just kind of like, ugh. Yeah. I oh, heard boy. that so many times. <laughs> they <laughs> eat a lot of shit in this movie. They do eat a lot of shit. Yeah, it's 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 the circle of shit. And this I, is I can't argue with that. And this isn't <laughs> like a fun, like jokey, the help kind of shit eating pie thing going on. It is straight up. Like you're saying, you described basically a mixed chocolate and orange together. Orange yeah, chocolate. some kind of like uh, sauce made out of orange peel to give it kind of that turdy, turdy, yeah, the turdy exuberance, like the soupiness to the turds. Which actually does sound pretty delicious. It would be yeah. fun to be recording those scenes and then you're eating <laughs> that and like this is, this is pretty good actually. Um, yeah, there's there's one scene like after the feast when uh, the judge is taking Sergio in his wedding dress up to. The bedchamber for the evening, I guess. Yeah. And he's got shit all over his mouth, and he's just intentionally breathing right in his face, just to. Oh, you mean a literal shit-eating grin? Yeah, exactly. Like Maybe that's where the term came from. all over their fucking faces. Yeah. And he kisses his forehead and gives him that Harry Potter shit. Star. Yeah, just yeah. The, oh man, I love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, listen, we we did it for you. Yeah, this I is what my chips are for. All for you, Lou. <laughs> it's uh. I feel like that kind of gets through the circle of shit pretty well, but that takes us to the more, probably the most intense one. Mm. Yeah, the circle of blood, which is yeah. the shortest circle. Thank goodness. Yeah. God. Yeah. That's, uh, wow. It's, they do it in a very interesting way. They basically, throughout the, I mentioned earlier, they've been recording a book of punishments they give them at the beginning when they're telling yeah. about all the sex acts that you can't, uh, use the Lord's name or it'll be punishable by death, I think they said. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of other misdemeanors, like if you're caught kissing or fondling one of your own, you'll lose a limb or a appendage. And yeah. uh, the fact they said all these at the beginning made me really worried. And then when this came around and he's walking down the hall with a book, I'm like, oh boy. Well, it's also kind of important noting that the laws don't really matter at all. It's yeah. just anytime you do something that they don't like, that's going to be, yeah. you're going to get your name written down on that book. Yeah, that's an interesting discussion to have, too, is the, they're talking about how there's no beliefs or morals or laws, but the fact they kind of execute all these punishments yeah. kind of makes them, I don't know, their own kind of heretics in the long run, too. If the fact yeah. that they're upholding these laws and doing these punishments. It feels kind of like a bastardization of, like, nihilism. Yeah. Where, yeah, where, like, oh, if if nothing matters, then yeah. I can just do whatever the hell I want. There which... were a few direct Nietzsche quotes in the yeah. film, yeah. too. Yeah, they, they bring up Nietzsche, like, three times in this movie. Yeah, three times. They bring up a lot of shit in this movie. <laughs> I, a lot of literal shit. That's really <laughs> yeah, famous, uh, Nietzsche, always famous for uh, slapping a horse and going insane. <laughs> One of my favorite facts about him. I like that. Got that on a t-shirt. Yeah, I really do want to get that on mm-hmm. a t-shirt. <laughs> um, yeah, so they kind of line him up, and then they don't show the torture directly. Well, they do for a few of the scenes, but basically, like I was saying earlier, they have a viewing room. They're sitting up in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to get to that yet. I want to get oh, to yeah. one of the, the scene before that. Where the uh, bishop is walking through one of the dormitories where they keep the kids. Yeah, at night. And one girl, one of the girls who's... No, it's one of the boys whose name is on the list. Wonders what's going... Asks what's going to happen to him tomorrow. And they said that'll be decided tomorrow. Then he tells them that there's one of the girls, Grizielda, I think was her name, who yeah. has a photo under her pillow. So he goes to her... Gets the photo, and so she writes out two other girls who were like having sex with each other to is like 
some form of comfort, I guess. And like all these terrible, despicable sex things being inflicted upon them. Yeah, a quick so note. Their outlet is still sex. Quick note during the scene, I thought, uh, I don't know if this is supposed to be intentional. But, like, he walks into the dormitories and they're all sleeping. I'm like, how could any of them sleep? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know how any of them would ever be able to sleep again. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You'd be surprised what people can get, can get used to. Yeah. That's why, like, whenever I watch <laughs> That's it. That's true. I guess if this did take place over 120 days. Yeah. yeah. That would be funny if one of them did lean back and be like, I could get used to this. Yeah. <laughs> he flips the shades down and <laughs> backs some more sodomy. Well, there, there were a couple of the children who did get into it. Yeah, I think that was the most creepy thing, though, is that when they are getting towards the end, they were reading off the things they were going to do. A few of the kids were either laughing or smiling, and I think it was to show just how either broken they were or how without hope they were. Yeah. But to get back, I, I know what you're talking about, uh, when they're ratting each other out, they finally get yeah. down to the chain of one of the soldiers is yeah. sleeping with one of the maids. Yeah, one of the servants of the mansion was like, you see the servants at the very beginning when they're pronounce, proclaiming their laws to all of the kidnap or kidnap children. I guess children is just <laughs> yeah. trying to find a better term, but there really isn't one. Yeah. And like there, they were watching, and then they shoot him away, or like I should say that Izio goes up with his gun and shoots at the air to scare them off. But yeah. he does have like a little glance with uh, one of the servant girls, and then this is the payoff for it. The Libertines catch them in bed together, and then they're, they have their weapons drawn, and they're about to kill him, but he does the, like, uh, resist, yeah, like the revolution, or like the French underground fist. Yeah. And for a second, that they're terrified, and they back up. And that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and also, we haven't mentioned it yet, but I love the sound design of this movie, where every now and then, you can hear planes going by overhead. Mm. So, like, this this weird thing they built could be destroyed at any moment if one of those happens to be, like, a Allied bomber yeah, or something and that's... take them out. Or the Allies could come in at any moment. There's always that things could turn out better, but they probably won't. Yeah. That was, I guess, the only scene of slight comfort, too, is the fact that they were still taken back by the resist is that... Uh... I think, in a sense, you know that one day it will all be destroyed, thank goodness, or something of that sort. Or maybe it won't, but it's that idea of that they could also easily be killed at any moment. Yeah, it was that idea that they're not masters of their of the universe around them. Yeah. They can't fully control every person. Yeah, and that's... I don't know if it's upsetting that they did it this way, but they cast a lot of the leaders as really wimpy and just creepy looking old yeah. middle-aged white dudes so you're the whole time you're just like wanting somebody just to take them out so badly oh god yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I wanted so many of these people to just like i wanted ironic deaths for everyone <laughs> yeah. but i mean i think about after getting two thirds through the film like they're not getting their comeuppance on this film i, I was hoping until the end yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah just the plan would go over and just bomb the whole place and be like thank goodness I, I i was hoping it would just smash cut to all of them on a crucifix like a single crucifix <laughs> for all of them but like life of brian style where they start singing and they just have like a whole fun montage oh, at the yeah, end of it. I mean, they've been having fun the whole movie why stop it there yeah yeah it was oh man it's Everything about it was intense, but the lead out and the finish of the film definitely came out of nowhere. But we got to get through that that whole end torture scene here. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. I think it's pretty basic. They have like a sitting room set up where one of the libertines will sit in a chair and is given a pair of like opera glasses to look out into a field where they have like a 
like a torture field set up. It's like a, a muddy field, looks like a pig style almost. Mm. But they have like some gallows, uh, a bunch of other torture devices, any sort of thing. They Burning hot pokers. Yeah, yeah, yeah fires for, to brand people with. Yeah. And yeah, the first thing you see is, and yeah, while one of the Libertines is watching from inside the house, the other three are down in the torture field, doing what you do in a torture field, torturing. Yeah. Like, the first one you see is the the president grabs, like, a candle, lit candle, takes it over to one of the boys that's they've condemned to be tortured and killed, puts it right underneath his dick. Yeah. Ugh. Boy, boy. And that's one thing with this film. There's a lot of foreskin. And yeah. so the fact that that's combined with a candle makes it a very uncomfortable thought. Yeah. Mm. Oh, boy. Um, mm-hmm. Guys, I'm really happy about circumcision, I gotta say, <laughs> in this film, too. I mean, I'm never gonna say foreskin or circumcised is the right way to go, but, you know, feel aesthetically. I feel like with the foreskin, the, if you were having a candle put on your dick, the foreskin would probably help a little bit. Oh, I guess it's true. I, um, I mean, it's gonna hurt no matter what. A lot of nerve endings. Yeah. Just yeah. Foreskin. This film will make you think. I just feel like there's probably more nerve endings in the head of your penis than there are in the foreskin. Well, guys, I have a candle. Yeah. Let's find out. Are we gonna introduce a new game? No. <laughs> I, I feel almost uncomfortable doing games on this episode, but we will still. Yeah. Um, yeah write some jingles for this. No. <laughs> Put my dick on a normal battery. <laughs> and then getting it lopped off. Let's hear, let's have, hear you play the Seinfeld theme. Oh, <laughs> what's the deal with these kaijus? Yeah. That's coming, though. What's but... the deal with these libertines? Yeah. Oh, okay. What would be the right jingle for that, though? Oh, boy. I guess maybe the theme to Frasier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The ultimate libertine Frasier. Um, but yeah, we're, we're almost wrapping up for the plot of the film, and then we can get in on all that. They basically have... So one interesting thing I, I really thought about this scene is that the four people of power are watching it. I think the last one's the judge, I want to say, that's watching. Yeah. Um, they're all kind of enjoying and smiling and cackling. I noticed for the last one with the judge, he looks upset, actually. It's a weird scene of, like, I think... I don't know if they're trying to show it or air it, but I think it's almost like a realization of a moment of clarity or what they're doing. I'm not completely sure. Yeah, it's hard to read that scene. Well, my whole thing, I think that they're each supposed to represent, like, a different emotional state or something, because the bishop's very cruel and angry, and he's the most outwardly wrathful one. Yeah. Then the president's just stupid and just in it because he likes it yeah it's just yeah. fun for him the judge is very stern withdrawn it's just doing it because he can and yeah. because he gets off on knowing that he has control i mean if we really wanted to select it you do have four different things represented <clears throat> the bishop of course religion the duke representing royalty or classism and then you have the president which i guess democracy or electing official and then finally the judge obviously being the judge so, yeah. I mean, that would be really interesting to get into and see if there's, like, a whole film theory behind this that people have written about. 
I'm sure there's uh, probably plenty of it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it would represent basically all of the kind of pillars of power or in modern society and how they're all corrupted. Yeah, because, yeah, we should mention this film has had several Criterion <laughs> releases. One of the funniest facts I found, too, is that the first release, I think, in America, one of the first uh, was uh, for the Criterion Collection was in 1993 on Laserdisc. Could you yeah. imagine, like, just opening as a gift the 1993 Laserdisc edition Criterion of Saw? Yeah, but... Somebody, if somebody got that for you. You were probably expecting it. It's probably something. You <laughs> oh, I hope for. you were expecting it. Yeah, yeah. maybe Grandma went down to the Best Buy. Like, yeah, yeah. one movie oh, left. Criterion Collection. I've heard nice things. Here you go, son. I wonder when my because I have a, a copy on VHS. I wonder was it a Christmas gift? No, it was a Halloween gift to myself. Because like I, I really wanted to. Watch I mean, that, that actually is the perfect Halloween gift to this film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say even for Halloween, this film doesn't seem like it'd fit because it's more of a anguish and human horror than just kind of spooks and goblins. Yeah. yeah, it's like I I will often refer to it as kind of like a horror movie because just for yeah. lack of a better term. Everyone referred to it, I saw looking up a line and researching it while watching it as an art horror film. Yeah. Kind of like a Suspensia or whatever. Uh, yeah. What's Suspiria? That one Suspiria, that's the yeah. one. Which is all... Actually, this does kind of remind me of Suspiria a little bit, too, which is another kind of art horror film. Which was that was that really old one, The Cabinet of Dr. Taglieri? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. That's, uh, that one's a fun one to watch, too, because it was one of the first ones to make use of like a surreal set design. Yeah. Um, and then Suspiria has that like whole... like a boingo, boingo music video. Yeah. <laughs> and then Suspiria is just ridiculous with blood and torture for that yeah. one, too. Uh, yeah, actually, this does kind of remind me a lot of that, so... Uh, it, it's... Before we get to the ratings and all that, too, uh, I guess my one note for this film is that I don't know if I'm going to be able to say if I liked it or disliked it. It was <laughs> an experience. I think it's one of the few films I can say it's just an experience. Like, I don't know if I can say I enjoyed it or I'm better for it, but mm. it happened. Yeah, I guess. Uh, that's why I want to ask, like, whether you liked it or not. Well, and I think I know, but also, I kind of because you guys kind of knew about the movie like, yeah i described it to you a little bit yeah well like, I, I should say before we get there that just to cap the film off real quick these scenes happen right before the very abrupt ending where it's two soldiers are in the room together they switch it over from a very stoic song i want to say yeah I, I, it's some famous classical song i yeah. can't remember but well, yeah while you look that over they switch it over and then a waltz comes on and, and he says to the other soldier do you know how to dance he says no he's like well let's try and then they dance together in very kind of somber, nice scene. I think it's like, what a weird way to end the film. But I mean, I was I was not expecting less of the film either, though. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's also the opening theme is also the clo- closes out the movie. That's yeah. the song they dance to, and it's a nice way to start the movie out because it's such a sweet little tune. <laughs> yeah, it's a sweet little song. Maybe nice isn't the word, but mm. like I, I want I want the this episode to open up with that song playing cause... I could find it just to get people ready like uh oh yeah yeah I mean it's, it's on uh... no MF doom to save you here yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. have we ever given a shout out to the fact that the opening song is MF Doom's I mean I'm doing it in my head every day yeah that's right well yeah it's uh, MF Doom's album he put together a bunch of artists called King Ghidorah it's King Ghidorah which is a Godzilla monster, of course. Uh, I think the song means is fine print that we open it up with. 
I think so. Uh, I'll double check it. You'll edit it in later. Yeah, like I said, this is a, this is a lost episode. Anything goes, guys. I could have just put jingles randomly in this episode. <laughs> I don't think I will, though, because I'd really make it weird with the discussion we're having. <laughs> It'd be so funny if we checked this later and it wasn't recording. Oh, God. Okay, let me just take a look here. Okay, thank God. Yeah. Well, it's not like we'd watch the film again, though. Yeah, no, no. yeah. It'd be, like, it'd be a truly lost episode. Yeah. So, for the review system... As you guys know, with Pod... No, I don't know if we're going to do the, the Godzilla... Let's do the Godzuki rating. No, I, I just kind of want to do what, it. What almost. do we use in place of it, though? I don't, you don't even... Just, don't even feel Let's like say impressions. Can. Yeah. 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 Impressions. I, it makes sense because this is definitely more of an art film regardless, so it wouldn't make yeah. sense to make it silly for this part. We'll do the silly games later still, but like, yeah. I'd say my impression is, uh, yeah, like I said, it's an experience. I don't know if I could give it a good or positive feeling or a bad one. Uh, one thing I did enjoy about the film is it makes you realize the horrific nature of mankind. Yeah. Um, and also the beauty it can kind of create because the, basically the absence of this film is enjoyment and uh, like humans doing good things but this is just showing you the dark side of what power and corruption can do but also like i said uh, a view maybe more modern is sex positivity and the importance of making you know sexuality and people's kinks more acceptable is that i feel like back in the day like this when it became such a taboo subject it would warp people into feeling like they're monsters or they have to control others and that kind of power can overlap when people are given the right position, especially during oh, yeah. wartime. Yeah, I, I really want... I came up with something the other night when I knew we were going to be watching this. I was like, I would love to see John Waters' take on this movie. Yeah. <laughs> because if he made this, it would be like... It obviously wouldn't be about torture. Everybody who's at the house would be having a good time. And yeah. Like, it's okay if you like to eat shit. Yeah. We won't judge you. Here's a singing asshole. Yeah, now we gotta put on a show to save the community center that we all fuck in. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like a really fun film. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather watch that. Film. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my impression, like I said, it's it's an artful experience. It'll make you think about humanity. It is intense, so be prepared for it mentally. And if you don't think you're going to be up for it, skip it. Don't don't put yourself through it. But if you want to kind of do it because a friend recommended it, or you know that's going to be a good take on fascism, then it's definitely something to check out and worth considering. And uh, I give it 7 out of 10 Podzookies. <laughs> no. No. Um, overall, I do not regret watching this film. Uh, I think uh, the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. This is a this is such a well shot movie, and then uh, set design too, like the yeah, and sound design too. Sound design also beautiful, um, but just like the the castle itself, I feel like is kind of a character all its own because it's like it's just it's dripping in artwork of that era and like modern furniture. It's so fucking beautiful, but then you have the stark contrast between like the sitting rooms where all of these fucking important figures are sitting and then the fucking squalored rooms that you have all the kids staying in. Yeah. It's it, it's just very well done. I would recommend watching this movie if you are a film student or if you want to <laughs> study film. Um, I would... I, I don't think I would recommend this movie for, like, anyone else unless you have, <laughs> like, a true appreciation for just the mechanical aspects of film. Um... <laughs> And overall, I give it five skills. <laughs> Taste the rainbow. Okay, well, it's me. I love this movie. It's a frequent watch for me. I watch it 
pretty often. It's one of those where, like, if I if I come home drunk, uh, I might pop it on before I go to bed. Like that. That's, I'm not even joking about that. I do that all Luke, the time. Luke, do you have a lot of nightmares? No, I just I just really like this movie. But like, a lot of the movies that I pop in like that are like movies like this, where like humans doing terrible things, no hope, and I don't know, like movies like that. Oh, I, I don't want to say cheer me up, but well, you know, I, I guess, get them. They make yeah. sense to me. I guess I could understand because one of my favorite films still of all time is There Will Be Blood, and that's definitely another one that's yeah. there's mm-hmm. a hopeless darkness to humanity when you watch that film. Yeah. They take away each time. Yeah, I'm glad you, Martin, brought up the sets and stuff because I guess I never really noticed on my the first time I ever saw this was a DVD copy. That was really amazing, but then I didn't watch it again for a few years mm-hmm. till I got my VHS copy, and obviously the resolution's not going to be as good, so I didn't really notice the art on the walls. And when I noticed it this time, I noticed that most of it's like Dadaist or like some kind of like uh, it's a lot of cubism. I noticed they had on there is a lot of uh, I'd say uh, surrealism that was popular at the time, where it's kind of walking that border of post-impressionism. Yeah. I guess it could just be because those, those were things at at the time, but yeah. also I think it's supposed to be kind of towards the idea that like like warped reality, yeah. And like they mm. took these people, these kids, put them in there and yeah. changed reality. Well, this is to get deeper into the art of the time. This would have been the '40s, so that would have been both Cubism and uh, Surrealism was coming in prominence. But also avant-garde and kind of like the Dadaists of the time. Yeah. Um, and I think set-wise it makes sense because a lot of those painters, especially like Brock, um, were doing kind of themes and concepts of the deconstruction of man and its moralities and concepts yeah. of uh, recognizing what's up and down. Well, the hell Dadaism came like whole cloth out of like World War One, right? Yeah. And just this the, idea. Basically, like, the, basically the insanity of mankind. <laughs> yeah, like, oh... We don't deserve art. Yeah. So here's anti-art. Yeah, basically how it was for just the, <laughs> the bougie and nobody else. And yeah. It's, yeah, so, I mean, it reflects pretty well on the theme of the movie. So I guess my interesting, like, concepts of this and what I want to ask you is, like, what was your impression after you first saw the film? Like I said, I was just... I suppose afterwards, I just kept thinking about it. Like, I... As I was watching it, I was just enthralled. Yeah. by the way it looked because of the way the camera moved just the way the scenes were set up yeah i just thought it was it, i thought it was amazing it was the first time i ever saw it it seemed much bigger like i suppose the uh the aspect ratio yeah the set pieces for the mansion too yeah it's pretty a big huge like openings yeah. for a lot do, of do you know if this version was like the Criterion version no it was just the one I found online we'll okay. say maybe using the dark web cause yeah <laughs> maybe that's why the original version cause that was a Criterion version yeah and so it probably it probably did have like a better aspect ratio yeah. to where the scenes were like squeezed a little bit more kind of like a cinemascope sort of thing but it just looked amazing and I love the ideas behind it. I love when they bloviate on politics and their philosophy and just kind of like, oh, you're so awful, but these things, they sound cool. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Not the things they do, but 
those scenes when they're in their sitting room just talking about politics and it seems so benign if you didn't know all the other crap that was going on. Like one of my favorite lines is the when the Duke is having some girl pee on his face that he says like the strength of the libertine is that we are once both executioner and victim. Yeah. And I think of that when I think of like probably shouldn't say this, but conservatism in general almost, at least with with people who are like really extreme about it, like they get to be the one who's in charge and doles out the punishment, but yeah. also a victim of it really made me think of more Trump than anything yeah. else because that's mm. that line there. Like he's both executioner and victim. Like he's the president, so he gets to do all this dumb shit, but he's also the president who's under attack from unfair places. Like, yeah, and to me, that's fascism too. I would read it the opposite of like uh, conservatism is what could kind of like give birth to all these acts too. Is once mm-hmm. again that extremeness of either side's bad. This is the extreme as extreme as you could go to the liberal side for what happens with them, basically, is what I would read it as. But it's kind of birthed from the opposite reaction of having such an extreme order to the world that causes that to happen. I guess I would take this as more of a commentary on extremism and how it can just be such a corrupting factor no matter which way it goes. Because the opposite of this would be, once again, super regimented authoritarian laws and bylaws that would be ruling everything uh, very much like the Nazi regime at the time. So I think it's maybe it's supposed to be a commentary on the reaction of what it could birth would be just as bad. In yeah, yeah. I, I also like the idea of, like, I've always been a big fan of Nietzsche and the idea, like, I judge you capable of the greatest evil. Yeah. So, like, no matter who you are, you can become this person. Yeah. It won't take that much. Like, we were talking earlier about some of the kids who came around to it. Yeah. Like, especially that one who was about to become a lot of really bishop at yeah. the very end. Yeah. yeah. About to become a lot of really weird uncles in the late 60s. Yeah. If they survive. Yeah, exactly. The uncle you don't get to visit. Um, yeah, it's... I think that wraps it up pretty well for impressions on the film. I'll have to do a jingle for impressions. Yeah. Um, for games, I don't... Well, we have the 9-volt battery, which yeah. I think we should do an... It's like our shot for this. Yeah, we could just do that. Oh, yeah. Licking a nine volt. Ask your parents for permission. Uh. <laughs> you know what? I just realized I uh, I have Jim Beam and shot glasses. I think we should all do a shot after. This. I don't. I'm oh, about to I really don't want to do a shot. <laughs> I don't want to. My, my, I'm, I'm so tired. My throat's starting to get really yeah. dry. I just need to sobering it. I'm going to just drink a lot of cold brew on the way to work. Yeah. Right? yeah. Right. Right. Well, the nine volt will be our shot then for this. So yeah, yeah. Ah. I don't know. Do you guys have a, a, a kaiju or possible kaiju you want to argue about? Well, let's just throw it in there. Fascism, right? Fascism is uh, I can't say it's the ultimate kaiju because that's humanity, but it's a lesser <laughs> kaiju. I'd say it's humanity's kaiju, and it's a strong kaiju. That was the case I made yeah. <laughs> when you guys said, "Is it a kaiju?" Movie? I was like, "Well, humanity's kind of the kaiju in it." Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Kaiju. Yeah. yeah. Kaiju. I think this was the most uh, easy discussion for this one. <laughs> yeah. Kind of very much. Yeah. Maybe this was uh, uh, also a master stroke for you, making us realize that we need to have better rules for the kaiju game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or comeuppance for it. Um, I think, just to kind of wrap it up, we'll get into recommendations and then probably head out in our own ways, think about what happened today, <laughs> think about the movie.
So, I don't know. I'm not going to go with the recommendation I was doing since it's going to be the last episode. Uh, I'm going to go with what I was talking about earlier for hopeless, good, bleak movies that I really enjoy and make you think. And once again, uh, There Will Be Blood. I mean, it's still one of the best films from 2008 and one of the, I'd say, best Anderson, or Paul Anderson films. Um, that's the director's name, right? Feels right. I'll correct it later if I need to. Yeah, <laughs> Paul W... S. Anderson? Yeah. And Paul Thomas Anderson is the one that sucks. Yeah. There's, there's two Paul Andersons, the good one. Yeah, Paul um, Thomas Anderson, I think, is the guy who did Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Hey, and first one, I think, is still not a horrible movie. I think first, the first one's fine. It's a fun but, romp. Yeah. yeah. Well, he makes all the Resident Evil movies now, Oh, okay. Yeah, he's doing, he's doing well. Because, yeah, like a franchise that only exists to keep his wife working. Yeah. Uh, man, but yeah, that's, it's such an excellent film on the, I'd say it's like the opposite of what uh, money and power can do to a corrupt a person to just become a crushing businessman and mm-hmm. how it kind of can cater to the right people, but also caters to the wrong people almost all the time, every time. Cause you get to see that with both, uh, you know, well, I'm trying to think Paul Dano's character is also a good reflection in that film because he plays the religious kind of right side, but also how they desire power just yeah. as much. Um, and yeah, he's just as much of a dick as... as Daniel Day-Lewis's character. Yeah, yeah, but in a different way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the film, but if you haven't checked it out, give it a chance. Uh, it's a little more heartwarming than Solo, if that makes any <laughs> sense, but it's still it's still a dark film. Uh, so yeah, recommendations for me, that's it. Uh, I'm going to recommend a dark RPG. That yeah, well, this is, like I said, this is the perfect recommendation uh, episode for it. I, I literally finished like I, I finished it right before heading out to have breakfast with these guys and then watching this movie. Um, it's called Lisa. It's it's the painful RPG and um, it takes place in a post apocalyptic Mad Max esque wasteland where you're uh, you're a drug addict who's trying to protect his adoptive daughter who is the last woman on earth. And it's a very depressing game. It does not have a happy ending. Yeah. I would recommend it if you like Earthbound and Sadness. You have to make some very hard decisions in that game. <laughs> yes, you do. Anyway, that's that's my recommendation. Luke? Oh, mine is another movie that I watched recently. It's uh, called Martin by George Romero. Oh, it's, I love uh, that movie. Yeah, yeah it's uh, I had never heard of it before until an internet review site I really like, redlettermedia.com. Mm-hmm. If you guys are listening, show us some love. Yeah. <laughs> send us money. Yeah, just send us VHS tapes. No, that works too. If people send you guys VHS tapes, you could send them our way. Yeah. I got a VCR. But anyway, yeah, so it's just a vampire movie that was made by George Romero. And he's like comes from like a very like orthodox Latvian family so like he doesn't have fangs the sunlight doesn't affect him he can see his reflection crosses and garlic don't affect him but the important thing is that his cousin an old man named Kuda believes he's a vampire and he Martin also believes he's a vampire so whether or not he really does need to drink blood doesn't matter because he thinks they think that he does and it also has one of the most terrifying scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And I watched it like a week ago, and for like four days after, I could not stop thinking about it. Like, that scene that I'm thinking of kind of did give me nightmares yeah. a little bit. It was, because it, it comes out of nowhere and just scared the shit out of me. What year was that that came out? 74, I believe. I know it's between 
Dawn, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Okay, then yeah, it'd be because I think it's eighty one or eighty two for Dawn or yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Mm. Maybe eighty four. That's still one of the best zombie films ever made too. It's such a good classic. Yeah. I remember what he was doing. Yeah, he did. I just thought it was weird because I had never heard of it before, and it's that it, he'd it, well, it's got that weird like someone owns the distribution rights to it, and like it, he's holding them ransom. Yeah, he just asked for like some ludicrous amount of money to license it. That's why it's had like four releases. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I got my copy on VHS, and it's one of the. The best VHS purchase I've made because it's a really good movie. A really good vampire movie. And it's also weird for a George Romero movie because it's character driven. It's kind of like a character piece where like none of his other movies are really like that. It's more of a... I mean, he does zombie movies, so it's more of a critique on society. Yeah. And yeah, vampires, it's a very different kind of monster from... I just wish he'd been able to make more different kind of movies when he got stuck on zombie movies. And then after, I guess, Day of the Dead, he had so much trouble making movies for a long time. Yeah. What was it? Like, film studios would rather give money to people who are ripping him off than, like, give him money to make more movies. Yeah, exactly. It was like he didn't, wasn't able to make a movie for a long time until Zack fucking Snyder remade Dawn of the Dead yeah, and, then and that's did, what people started talking about then, yeah, yeah he like did Diary of the Dead and Land of the Dead or something which yeah, were, they were alright they're not uh, terrible but yeah they're not they're not great yeah. you know, by any stretch of the imagination but you know George uh, George gotta eat so yeah yeah, um, yeah for uh, I, I think to wrap it up too for uh, plugs just follow me at Kirkman Brandon just tweet at me hey cheer up there buddy it's alright now <laughs> It's uh, yeah. It's like I said. I, I'm glad we watched it, but it was it was a harrowing experience. Yeah. And yeah. uh, yeah, I got I got some stuff going on. But I'll just go at the Twitter handle for now. Yeah. Um. I I also have other stuff going on, but just follow me on Twitter at uh, Cookie Dude Show. That's that's a then yeah. Yeah. Just uh, listen to this podcast. Yeah. That's my plug. <laughs> <laughs> so you already got one of the plugs out of the way, guys. So. Yeah. yeah. But good yeah, job, Luke. Yeah. You plug this real hard. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, I did like this because it's more of a serious film discussion for this. We should maybe do this again for like a serious film. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, maybe call it some like I don't know film spotting. If or... we, yeah, if we, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was fun. It was uh, I wouldn't say well maybe not fun, but it was it was an interesting experience. <laughs> I like having a more serious discussion about the film. That was kind of nice. So. Yeah, I just wish it weren't so. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll try. We'll try a serious one later next time if we do this again for our no, last no, episode. I think we should do all of our serious films early in the morning. All of our silly films later. At night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, want to watch silly films at day? Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna. Well, no, wait, wait. We still have to. We have to do our. Oh, sign. sign what off. do we do? The sign off for? Let's yell something in Italian. Prego. <laughs> <laughs> Like, all these things we're yelling just make me creeped out thinking if it was yelled during this film at all. Even if it was just saying, Prego, would be like, oh, they're eating shit right now. Uh, Scoraggia. Ooh, what's that one? Uh, that's Italian for fart. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Uh, just because they kept shouting in the movie, Manja! Manja, manja, manja! Oh, boy. Just shoveling that shit into their mouths. <laughs> Alright, well, guys, have a turd night. <laughs> We regret that you have not yet complied with our order.
This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. The words get stuck in my throat. <laughs>